What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Keeping Up with the Commanders. It, it's felt like quite a minute since I uh, came out with a podcast, but we're back. Um, we're back to the weekly episodes from now on. It's going to be on Monday still. Uh, I know today is coming out on a Tuesday morning just because of when I got back from Mobile, Alabama and all that. But um, yeah, it's going to be back on Mondays, every Monday at 7 a.m. A new episode of Keeping Up with the Commanders will be dropping but yeah, it's been it's been a crazy week for the Washington Commanders and for myself too. As if you're watching the video, you can see um, you can see the sun kind of got to me a little bit <laughs> over in Mobile. So yeah, that's why I look like this. But beyond that, we've had a lot of of news for Washington for Commanders fans, including a new head coach being hired and Dan Quinn. We have new coordinators being hired to talk about. We have some possible position coaches to talk about and a new possible secondary coach that I could definitely see being on the Washington commanders. And then also in the second half of this episode, as again, this is a, this is a big one. This is a big episode. Second half of this episode, we're going to be talking about the senior bowl and mobile. I'm going to have the timestamps in the description. If you're watching this on YouTube and then also on any of the other audio platforms, I'm going to have the timestamps if you just want to skip to the senior bowl stuff. But yeah, without further ado, let's just jump right into it. We have um, Dan Quinn being hired as the new head coach of the Washington Commanders. Dan Quinn, uh, this being announced by uh, reporters on Wednesday after a wild week. Last time I recorded an episode, it seemed like a lock. Ben Johnson was going to be the Washington Commanders head coach. The amount of stuff that can happen in the last, in the 48, 72 hours after that episode came out. Ben Johnson, it's being announced that he was dropping out of the Commanders head coaching search as the Commanders front office and uh, Adam Peters and everyone were on a plane to go and interview him. He announces that he's going to drop out of the Commanders search. We have a big fallout of that. Many reports pretty much is kind of just embarrassing from both sides at this point. Uh, going at one each other, one, one another. Um, ben Johnson calling uh, the front office of Washington, just saying that they're NBA guys. They're not built for the NFL. And then reports for Washington just saying that Ben Johnson was it was irresponsible and it was outrageous that um, that Ben Johnson would drop out while they were in the air flying to him. But again, that that nothing's going to come out from that. Um, and I just think at this point, since we're still getting reports, I'm recording this on Monday night, we're still getting reports between those two, just uh, two camps, just fighting back at each other. It's just pretty much embarrassing at this point, but let's think about the present and the future ahead because Dan Quinn seemed to be the third option for that Washington had at head coach. Number one was Ben Johnson. We saw, I just told you how that fell out. Mike McDonald was the number two. Mike McDonald was offered the job by the Washington commanders. But it was just too late. He was already on that plane to Seattle on, I believe it was Tuesday, I want to say, last Tuesday, and accepted the Seattle Seahawks job. So he basically chose Seattle over Washington, which, I mean, it's what he wants to do. Um, me personally, I think Washington would be the better spot with just the amount of uh, stuff that we have this offseason, the most cap space, second pick, all that. But again, that's just what Mike McDonald did and you can't really blame him or anything that's his decision and all that but Washington it was unfortunate for Adam Peters and Josh Harris but now you land with your third option and that third option is none other than Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn 
So the Dan Quinn era has begun in Washington. I just listened to the introductory press conference earlier today. It was held in Ashburn, and um, Dan Quinn, it lasted a record 57 minutes, a 57-minute introductory press conference for head coach Dan Quinn, which is, I believe, some of the reporters are saying it was a record for the Washington Commanders, which I wouldn't be surprised because I've never seen a press conference go that long. It almost took an entire period of my school day. Um, so it was it was a very long press conference. And I mean, from what I've, I've listened to probably 45 minutes of it, because then after that, I was kind of like, okay, the questions are starting to get a little bit repetitive or whatever, um, and kind of was like, whatever. But from the 45 minutes I listened to it, he he sounded like he sounds like the real deal, and you can really tell that the players are going to love him. Micah Parsons vouching for him over the weekend at the Pro Bowl, saying that he loved him and he really treated him as like an uncle. And then some of the other former uh, some of the other Cowboys as well, uh, Cowboys players praising him, and some of his uh, other players in Atlanta when he was the head coach in, as for the Atlanta Falcons back in the 2010s, praising him as well. So. Um, great, great stuff. Great news we've heard so far from Dan Quinn. It's been a few days now since since the announcement was made, and again, I wasn't as happy as it, uh, happy for it as I would have been for Ben Johnson or Mike McDonald, as those were pretty clearly my top two guys with this head coaching search. Um, at the time, I wasn't that happy. I don't know if I'm just becoming delusional a little bit, but I really think now that the dust has settled, things are ready to go. We're at one day one of the Dan Quinn era, first full day of the Dan Quinn era now. Um, I, I really feel like uh, I'm pretty confident in this coaching staff. Again, we haven't really seen yet how we – have, we haven't really seen the entire fully built coaching staff. But let's talk about the assistant coaches because the staff that Dan Quinn has brought in to Washington so far really kind of shows the path ahead for the Washington Commanders. Again, Dan Quinn, very defensive-minded head coach. He's led this Dallas Cowboys defense to back-to-back really good seasons. He took that Cowboys defense from a historically bad defense to now arguably the best in the NFL. He's kind of uh, turned that secondary with Trevon Diggs, Deron Bland, and uh, some of those guys as well. Linebacker, he turned Marquise Bell from a safety into a linebacker, and he's been wonderful. Some of the other guys like Osa Digizua on the on the line, Micah Parsons that he's uh, drafted and been able to coach over, uh, been able to coach for the last few years. Like some of these young guys, he's been able to develop talent, and he's bringing over a guy that helped develop that secondary with him. That is Joe Witt Jr., the Dallas Cowboys secondary coach and pa- defensive pass game coordinator. He's bringing him over from Dallas to Washington as the new defensive coordinator. I like this hire. A lot. There's not really much I can say that's against this hire. If you look at Joe Witt's track record, he spent times with the Falcons, the Browns, the Packers, or I guess it was kind of the opposite first with the Packers and the Browns for a year or two, and then the Falcons, and then Dallas. So he kind of just followed Dan Quinn where he went. Dan Quinn has loved Joe Witt as um, one of his kind of assistants, kind of like his right-hand man a little bit over over his time in Atlanta and in Dallas. I, I like this a lot. Um for Washington, I think Joe Witt, again, he's been able to develop guys in that secondary like Javon Diggs. Diggs goes down. They lose their all-pro uh, starting cornerback at the beginning of the season. Next man up, you're able to develop Deron Bland into a defensive player of the year candidate. And uh, the guy who's, who broke the record for the most pick sixes in a single season in NFL history, 
So it just shows you they can develop talent in that secondary. Some of the other guys too, um, uh, as well. So uh, I can't think of. I know there's a safety. Um, I'm blanking now, but uh, the, uh, there's a safety that um, they've been able to develop, and some of the other other guys as well in that secondary. Even in the linebackers too, I mentioned Marquise Bell, but um, yeah, Donovan Wilson, Donovan Wilson. I I I knew it was Donovan something. Donovan Wilson has been a great safety for them. Um, they've been, they've been able to bring over some veteran guys like Malik Hooker, and he's even played uh sort of well as uh like he's been playable as well in Dallas. So they know how to run a secondary. From what I've heard, it sounds like Joe Witt was the guy for that secondary. He uh, he's kind of like a secondary specialist. He was with he was doing that in Atlanta. He was doing that in Dallas. And um, Dan Quinn was more of the front seven type of guy with the linebackers, the, the the defensive line. Dan Quinn even said it in his press conference today. When he thinks of this team, first thing he thinks of is the defensive side. And on the defensive side, he thinks of the trenches. He thinks of the Jonathan Allen, the Duran Payne. He got, he's excited to, to coach those guys. Uh, that was something that attracted him to this job. And I, again, I, I really like this hire. Joe Witt as a defensive coordinator. Joe Witt also will be calling the plays for the Washington Commanders next year on defense. When Ron Rivera was here, it was Jack Del Rio. Uh, he hired Jack Del Rio as a defensive coordinator. And it was Del Rio calling the plays for the, pretty much almost the entirety of the Rivera era until the final two or so months of the final season um, in the Rivera era last year. But I mean, Joe Witt, he, I don't think he's ever called plays before in the NFL. Uh, mostly been a secondary and cornerbacks coach throughout his time. But then again, like he's been able to kind of develop under Dan Quinn. He's, he's up there in the press box, uh, not the press box, but he's up there in the, in the box, uh, in the coaching box and in, in the suites um, with Dan Quinn uh, up, up in AT&T stadium, whenever they cut to a, a like a video, a camera with Dan Quinn, you, you always see Joe Witt up there with him. And so I trust Joe Witt calling these plays. Um, I think it's going to be great uh, for Washington. And again, Joe Witt's been able to see how Dan Quinn has called plays. I think Dan Quinn has a lot of trust in Witt. And I, again, as of right now, there's nothing I can say that's bad about this hire. So the defensive coordinator candidate, Joe Witt, I, I would say is an A, a grade hire. I think it's solid. Um, I was, I know another guy, one of the other secondary coaches in Dallas, Al Harris. Is another another coach that was kind of um, is kind of like a young uh, uh, like a rising star in the coaching ranks. I know a lot of Washington fans wanted him. There's still a chance that he comes. It sounded like um, I think it was Josh Harris that said during the press conference that Dan Quinn still has uh, some tricks up his sleeve. So I wouldn't be surprised if Al Harris still comes over. But I think it would definitely be a lot harder because you need to find a position for him to be for him to have a higher position than he currently has in Dallas or else Dallas can just uh, deny the request, which they probably would if you just hire him for a parallel uh, position. So um, Joe Witt as a defensive coordinator, I like to hire Al Harris potentially coming over as well. I like that too. Before we go to the offensive side, cause I know a lot of people like that, uh, like the hire for the offensive side. I do want to talk about one potential name that has come up, in um in circles so far as a possible guy for the washington commanders a possible maybe position coach or maybe the secondary coach but it's jason simmons 
the current uh, defensive passing game coordinator and secondary coach for the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, so he's in a similar position as Joe Witt was in Dallas. And from what I've heard from the Raiders people I've talked to, Jason Simmons is a star. He is one of the uh, guys that is rising up the ranks. And I think he's had, he was on the same staff as Joe Witt in Green Bay in 2016. Uh, the commanders have requested to interview him. And I'm pretty sure that it's going to be um, accepted. I don't think the Raiders can really do anything about it because the Raiders have currently hired their own secondary coach with uh, now interim, interim now full-time head coach Antonio Pierce being the guy that in Las Vegas, they're reshaping that defensive staff under Patrick Graham. And um, it doesn't look like they're going to be keeping Jason Simmons. But again, I, I would love this hire for Washington. I think if you hire Simmons, you're not going to be hiring Al Harris. And um, I think that'll be something to watch. But from what I've seen so far, I think Jason Simmons could be a big time name that could come in and be uh, the secondary or maybe the secondary coach or defensive passing game coordinator in Washington. And one more thing I want to say, you're bringing in these guys, Joe Witt, Jason Simmons, possibly Al Harris, at, uh, maybe as well. These guys know how to develop corners. Jason Simmons was there in Green Bay developing guys like Jair Alexander. He was in uh, Carolina and helped develop J.C. Horn, some of the other younger corners in um, in Las Vegas as well over these last few years he's helped develop. So Jason Simmons, he knows how to develop cornerbacks and, and safeties. Same with Joe Witt as well. We've seen him do it with Trevon Diggs, Deron Bland, Donovan Wilson, those guys. So uh, these guys know how to develop. And we look at we currently look at the secondary they have now with Emmanuel Forbes, Quan Martin, some of these younger guys. I think this could definitely mean that they they are really going to be trying to develop Emmanuel Forbes. And they hope that next season, Emmanuel Forbes will play a prominent role in that secondary rotation, probably being a starter. I really think with these hires that uh, Dan Quinn has made, that is probably going to be one of the keys and some kind of one of the early hints of what the plan is this offseason for Washington, because these guys, they're secondary specialists. And we look at the Forbes and Martin, two very young rookies last year. Forbes was pretty much as much of a disaster as you could get in uh, in his rookie year. But still, he was only a rookie. He's still young. He still has time to develop under the right guys. I don't think he had the right coaching last year. They're doing a lot of complicated stuff within that defense. Um, another message that Dan Quinn, ha- Dan Quinn had in his press conference was, if, if, it's, if there's something that makes you second-guess something, then um, it's probably... Or if something like it was something about keeping the defense simplistic and not having people one like second guess themselves in that defense. Should I be doing this or should I be? No, I should be doing this instead. Because I know with the positional versatility that Ron Rivera had in Washington over the last um, four years or so, uh, there was just a bunch of confusion, a lot of different roles being played by players that should not be in those roles. And now um, with with Dan Quinn here, he wants to simplify things a little bit, simplify the positional versatility a little bit that uh, some of the players had. So I, I really like that. I, if I'm uh, if I'm a Washington fan, I would I would like that because last year it really seemed like the defense was just too complicated for players to understand. Which you'd rather have a simplistic defense that players know how to play rather than a complicated defense that your players have no clue what they're doing. So. I like that if I'm uh, Dan Quinn, 
Uh, I think these secondary coaches that are coming in and um, with that secondary experience we're gonna, are going to help develop Emmanuel Forbes, Quan Martin, some of the younger secondary pieces over the offseason. All right, now time for the offensive guy. I know a lot of you have been waiting for this one. Cliff Kingsbury is the new offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. The former Arizona Cardinals head coach is going to D.C. to now be the play caller, the offensive play caller in Washington. Kingsbury, of course, the Arizona Cardinals head coach from 2019 to 2022. He was 28-37-1 during that stretch and then last season after spending a break in thailand i think or taiwan one of those um after spending a break with that one-way ticket to uh to asia he comes back and he was the senior offensive analyst at usc in 2023 cliff kingsbury knows how to work with talented quarterbacks he knows how to he's uh he knows how to develop talented quarterbacks He's worked with guys like Patrick Mahomes when he was the head coach at Texas Tech. He worked with Kyler Murray in Arizona, and he also worked with none other than Caleb Williams last season at USC. So he loves these dual-threat quarterbacks that can run. He has that experience with Caleb Williams, a guy that, again, is going to be one of the top draft picks in this coming draft, the quarterback out of USC who is going to potentially be the franchise quarterback of either the Chicago Bears, the Washington Commanders, or maybe a surprise team. But the projected number one pick in the draft does have experience with Cliff Kingsbury at USC. So that could also be maybe a slight hint of what's to come. But I kind of wanted to talk more about the offense that we will see with Cliff Kingsbury because last year with Eric Biennemi, Eric Biennemi's offense set up the run, get the run to get going early, which is just fine. It's fine. It's whatever. But then he just abandons the run once the run gets going. So um, that was that was the uh, that was the Eric Bieniemy offense, who, by the way, Eric Bieniemy will not be back with the Washington Commanders in 2023 on Dan Quinn's staff. I didn't expect him to be. Uh, I know we interviewed him for the head coaching position. Okay, but I feel like it'd be bigger. It'd be bigger news if we didn't interview him for the head coaching position than if we did. So we interviewed him, um, but then again, like there's, he he wasn't coming back, guys. He was he was not coming back. I after the year he had, I'm pretty sure he's going to go back to KC um, after they win after they win the Super Bowl or after they lose in the Super Bowl, or whatever in in one week. But um, I expect him yeah to go back to Kansas City after this. Or maybe take a year off because this season was atrocious for Eric Bieniemy and kind of his stock as well um, within the league. Once a guy that was considered to be a possible future head coach, I know a lot of Washington fans thought that maybe after this year they were going to promote him the head coach, but it was a, it was a, it was a disaster. It was a disaster for this offense last season. You had Sam Howell throwing the ball 45, 50 times a game. You were just abandoning the run with Brian Robinson, which I hate to break it to you, but Cliff Kingsbury's offense, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of air raid pass heavy offenses. We look at um we look at USC last year. If you've watched any USC football over this last college football season, you know how much they love to pass the ball. And um probably a little bit too much, but it's going to be a lot of passing. Uh if you like passing, if you like big plays. That's what Cliff Kingsbury is going to bring you. 
And whether he wants to have a dual threat quarterback like Caleb Williams, or maybe if they stick with Sam Howell for next year, um, you've got options with the dual threat quarterback. Or maybe you want more of a like true pocket presser, who, who's also, by the way, pretty underrated mobile uh, in terms of his athleticism. But Drake May, he who I mean, again, he can run a very air raid offense as well. There's a lot of guys that you can do a lot of things with um, in the draft. And I know some people are saying, oh, with this Kingsbury hire, Washington's going to be trading up for Caleb Williams this draft. They're going to be trading up with the Bears. There's That's, as of right now, I still think there's a bigger chance that doesn't happen than that does. I still think Drake May will end up being the guy. As of right now, again, it's February 5th. So I don't, I don't, my opinion could definitely change within the next two and a half months. But as of right now, again, I still think it's going to be Drake May or end up being Drake May with that second pick. And I think, again, he can run an air raid offense. I think Jane Daniels, we saw him uh, with his dual threat ability, what he can do uh, at LSU in a dual threat uh, system. And Kingsbury can, again, Kingsbury likes these dual threat quarterbacks. And then, of course, the Caleb Williams connection at USC. I mean, there's, there's stuff you can connect with all three of the top quarterbacks in this draft with Cliff Kingsbury and the type of offense that he runs. So uh, th- that was my thoughts on Kingsbury. Now kind of moving on a little bit to, um, well, that's my thoughts on like the coaching staff in general. So far, I think some great hires being made. Well, if we're going to get Jason Simmons, like what I expect um, we're going to get him, then I think, uh, I think it'd be great coaching staff as well. But again, not really that many positional coaches being announced yet. I expect by the time we do the pod next week, we're going to have some more answers at the position coaches and uh, what the plan will be there. But I kind of wanted to move on a little bit now to the senior bowl because the senior bowl was this week. Also the shrine bowl was this week, but I was down in mobile uh, for the senior bowl this week. And I was able to watch guys um, like Laitu Latu, one of the top edge rushers out of US, out of UCLA uh, there, I got to see Michael Penix, Bo Nix, some of like uh, top quarterbacks in this draft class. There, uh, uh, with a lot, a lot of other talent, I got to talk to a lot of them. Uh, I actually saw Adam Peters there. I, it, I mean, the experience was great. It was my first time going down to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Um, I got to, like stand right next to Adam Peters for a little bit, which is pretty cool. I uh, stood next to Ryan Poles, the Bears GM, for a little bit, which was pretty cool. I saw Brian Kelly; he walked past me. I mean, there was like all these coaches, scouts, everything. Everyone was in Mobile, and um, it was a really cool experience. Uh, I was down there uh, with some other people too. Um, Josh Taylor, uh, I was down there. Him, uh, Joe Will, as uh, as well. So those guys, um, I hung out with a lot. The Next Network, uh, I I was with as well. So there's a lot of guys I was down there with. Um, but yeah, uh, the experience overall, definitely. It was awesome. Um, I got a lot of schoolwork now to do, uh, it, because I was gone for a week, but it, it was a great experience. Definitely want to try and head back next year because I mean, mobile is just incredible. Um, I mean like the city itself is, I guess it's like whatever, but the event, uh, the senior bowl that Jim Nagy has been able to kind of expand over these last few years to a point where. We have a bunch of possible first-round picks um, playing in events like this. It's just it's wild. It's it's crazy. It was a great event. Um, got a lot. Of, got a lot. Of, uh, got to meet a lot of people there. But um, yeah, here's my here's some of my takeaways. Here's some of my takeaways from Mobile because I was there. I was there in person. Um, and uh, 
And so, hold on. Yeah, okay. I was there in person. So th- these were my takeaways. We'll start with the risers, the players that definitely played themselves, I would say. Some of these guys played themselves into round one. I have three players that I think locked themselves into the first round with with these performances in the Senior Bowl. One of them, the corner out of Toledo, the Toledo Rocket himself, Quinion Mitchell. He was a star for, I think it was a national team that he was playing with, but he was a star. Um, I think he's going to be, I mean, he was great in the one-on-one reps against some of these top wide receivers. We had guys like Ricky Pierce, Roman Wilson, uh, Malachi Corley, some of the, Tez Walker. We, we had a lot of these top wide receivers participating in the senior bowl. Quinion Mitchell was amazing. He had so he had like three or four pass breakups on the very first day of practice, which was great. He was great in 11 on 11s. He had great instincts. Um, again, like, the 11 on 11 was like a little bit um not really that realistic again cuz there's so much only so much that a, a team could do on the first day of practice but again Quinion Mitchell I think got himself into the first round a big question of his he's a great player on on film he's uh, great to watch fun to watch but I think a big question for him was he played at Toledo so he wasn't going to be playing the top competition in uh, in the country unlike a lot of these other top cornerbacks like Kool-Aid McKinstry or Cooper DeGene. So I, I think that was a big knock on Quinion Mitchell. And again, he went up against some of the top talent in this draft, a wide receiver over this last week, and he delivered. So Quinion Mitchell, I think, is a lock to go in the first round, back end of the first round. Um, a guy that I think should be considered the consensus best center in this draft, Jackson Powers Johnson out of Oregon, uh, J-Powell NFL, if you know him. Um <laughs> But Jackson Powers Johnson out of Oregon, I think should be go should 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 go on night one. I think possibly I'm not entirely sold on it yet, but I think I've seen people say he's a better prospect than Tyler Linderbaum was at Iowa two years ago. I'm not sure if I'm all the way there yet, but his tape was incredible to watch. Um, he was dominant in the two days of practice that he uh, he practiced at in Mobile. Um, before I, I think, I think he left mobile after those two days of practice or maybe it was three days of practice, but he, he didn't, he didn't need to stay for the game or anything because he, he showed himself, in my opinion, he was the best player in mobile Jackson Powers Johnson of Oregon. He was dominant winning pretty much every single one of his reps, um, against, again, some of the top interior defensive linemen in, in, uh, this draft class. So a great, a great, uh, performance from him over this last week i got to talk to him as well uh seems like a really cool guy and and so um yeah it was uh it was great talking with him darius robinson another guy i got to talk to out of missouri again this he was named the player of the week because of how good he was uh the edge rusher out of missouri i mean he he boosted his stock from a borderline day two player early day three borderline day two i would say to possibly the first round like that's how good he was during this three days of practice and then during the senior bowl game as well he was unstoppable he was unstoppable so Darius Robinson he's got uh he's got an entire arsenal of pass rush moves he's doing against against some of the top tackles guys like Patrick Paul Jordan Morgan um who was Talese Fawaga so I mean uh, not Talese Fawaga but uh some of these other guys like uh, Patrick Paul and uh, 
who Javon Foster out of Missouri, some of these top guys, um, he, he was, he was winning a lot of these reps. So Darius Robinson, a guy that I think could definitely sneak into the back end of the first round to one of these um, Super Bowl playoff contender teams that need an edge rusher. Uh, okay, so another guy uh, that was a riser, I think, is Spencer Radler, the quarterback out of South Carolina, the former five-star recruit, uh, committed to Oklahoma, got benched at Oklahoma for who else but Caleb Williams, and then transfers to South Carolina. And, I mean, he's been surprisingly good. Over this last year, uh, I watched his tape, and it, it kind of surprised me a little bit. I kind of like him a little bit. And then in Mobile, I believe he was the best quarterback in Mobile with a roster that had Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Michael Pratt, Joe Milton, Carter Bradley, and someone else, and Sam Hartman. Um, Spencer Rattler was, in my opinion, the best quarterback in Mobile, and that was... Uh, that was really cool to see. Um, he had a great game. He was the player of the game for the game itself. He was 4-4, 60 yards, and a touchdown. He played one drive. It was great. Uh, I I think I think it was a great day, a great week of practice for for Spencer. Definitely um, locked himself up into maybe an early day three pick. I would say because maybe he could sneak into late day two, but I would probably say like a day three pick. Um, make sure he gets drafted. So. Great practice and great game from Spencer Radler. And the final two guys I want to mention, two wide receivers, Roman Wilson out of Michigan and Ricky Pearsall out of Florida. You know I'm a Florida guy, and if if you've listened to any of my other pre-draft stuff, um, the pre-draft pod last week, uh, some of the other stuff I've done with Josh Taylor on his channel over the last few weeks, you guys know how big I am on Ricky Pearsall. This guy's got sticky hands. He can catch anything. He's got great ball tracking skills. Uh, his footwork, his um, his releases is he's got a lot of nuance to his game in terms of his route running and stuff. So I think he's one of the best route runners in this draft. Uh, Roman Wilson made a case for being a great route runner as well. Um, both of those guys won a lot of their one-on-one reps. Uh, both of those guys only practiced for two gate for two for two days and then dropped out. So um, those two guys I really liked, especially in a wide receiver group that consisted of a lot of different players like Malachi Quarterly and Johnny Wilson and some of these other top big time names. I think those two guys stood out the most to me, but yeah, those were my biggest risers. There's a lot of other guys I can mention too. I'll just go through the list and kind of just name off some people. Brendan Rice, the wide receiver of USC was um, pretty promising. He was kind of, it was kind of up and down for him, I want to say, but for a good majority of it, it was promising. Theo Johnson, the tight end out of Penn state was, uh, was impressive to me. Um, kind of looking at the offensive line a little bit. Patrick Paul, I liked him a lot, his game a lot. I got to talk with him. I got to talk with Chris Paul, the Washington Commanders guard. They're about Patrick Paul's journey and stuff, which is really cool. Christian Jones, the right tackle out of Texas, impressed me a lot. Christian Haynes, the guard out of UConn, was really solid. Um, who else? Uh, Talise Fawaga, of course, one of the best uh, tackles in this class. Uh, definitely is going to go end up going in the top 12, I would say probably in this draft. Um, and then some of the DBs, Cam Kinchins out of Miami, uh, Cam Hart out of Notre Dame. Uh, both of those guys were pretty impressive. I liked Evan Williams out of Oregon. He was really impressive as well. Josh Proctor was making plays in the backfield out of Ohio State. I liked his game. Um, Malik Mustafa out of Wake Forest. I liked what he was doing as well. So 
those guys, uh, just to list off some of the other risers, really solid performances. Now time for the fallers. Um, that's not it. Hold on. Let me find it. There we go. Uh, the fallers, because there were some guys that um, that, that didn't perform as great as I was hoping. Because a guy on my agenda, Johnny Wilson, the six foot six 238-pound receiver out of FSU, out of Florida State, uh, he was on my agenda because if he if he could catch passes and in, in, as a senior bowl, I was going to move him up to the first round. I have a late or a, l- a late to mid um, second round grade on him right now, but I might move that down a little bit because it was not a great week uh, for Johnny Wilson. It, it was kind of a little bit of a struggle early for him. Um, he didn't really get off the line that fast on the first few days, and it kind of seemed a little bit slower overall. Maybe he was injured because on day two, went down with what appears to be a rib injury. We have not gotten any information on his injury at all. Um, I don't expect to get any information unless it's pretty significant. But went down with what appeared to be a rib injury. Wasn't at the media session later in the week or later in the day, sorry. And then um, wasn't at practice the next day and for the rest of the week. So Johnny Wilson kind of disappeared after picking up a little bit of a rib injury. I was really hoping he was going to make a name for himself in Mobile. But that was not the case. Tez Walker out of UNC, uh, a wide, another wide receiver. I wasn't that impressed with. I I wasn't that impressed with coming into the week either. I kind of I was kind of wanting to see more of him uh, because again, some people have him as like a second round guy. He's more of like a fourth, fifth round guy for me. So I, I kind of wanted to see more of Tez Walker. I was hoping he was going to play great and prove me wrong. But um, yeah, some of the some of the uh, drop issues were there. Some of the ball tracking um was there as uh wasn't there as either especially on the game during the game he dropped i think three passes in the first half which wasn't wasn't incredible um kind of struggled creating separation it's kind of just the stuff i saw on film it was, it was still there so tez walker i i wasn't i wasn't that impressed with um either and then kind of any quarterback not named spencer rattler i i wanted to see more i wanted to see more and I'm, I'm not saying all those guys would go down my board. The quarterback's not named Spencer Rattler. I'm talking about like Michael Penix, Bonix, Joe Milton, uh, Carter Bradley, Sam Hartman, and uh, someone else. Um, I'm forgetting Michael Pratt. But uh, I I just wanted to see more. I wanted to see more of Michael Penix. I, he didn't do anything to impress me. He didn't do anything to not impress me. It wasn't anything crazy for him. Bonix, uh, and then Penix as well. He dropped out of the game itself, so not um not incredible uh, for Michael Penix. Uh, Bo Nix, the quarterback out of Oregon. Um, I just wanted to see more of him. I didn't I didn't see uh that that much of him if if really at all. I know he led a touchdown drive um during the Senior Bowl game, but was really only in there for two drives, so it wasn't really that great in the practices. The practices weren't incredible for Bo Nix. I felt like he kind of struggled as the week went on. I uh, started start to find his footing a little bit, but um, it wasn't great. Penix threw an interception during the practices. Really, only the true, uh, true, like the only true interception during, that happened during the practices. Uh, Penix threw it, and then Penix drops out of the game, so of the senior bowl game. So, not sure really what happened there. Michael Pratt wasn't impressive. Um, I really wanted more of Michael Pratt. Uh, Joe Milton threw two picks during the um, during the Senior Bowl game, and then Carter Bradley 
Carter Bradley was actually okay during the second day of practice, I would say. He was kind of he was acting on some passes, but I think it impressed me more on the second day because the rest of the quarterbacks in this group weren't playing great. So that was kind of just how I felt about him. Um, and, the, and then during the actual senior bowl game, wasn't that impressive. So those quarterbacks, um, pretty much everyone not named Spencer Rydler, I wasn't impressed with. Another guy, Brandon Dorless out of Oregon, he was on my agenda as well. I really hoped he uh, showed his athleticism and all that because it seems like I asked him about it at the senior bowl. I was asking him because I think I mentioned this on previous podcast um, that he's a guy that I think could play multiple positions on the defensive line. He played multiple positions on the defensive line at Oregon, but he came in, um, measured in at 20 pounds less than what Oregon listed him as on their website when he was in Mobile. So he was like three or, yeah, uh, 270, I want to say, 270, and he was listed at 298, I believe, on the Oregon website. So he trimmed down like 20, 25 pounds, and I asked him about like, does he care about what position he plays in the NFL? And he's like, I'm just going to tell you what I told every other person. I want to play edge rusher. I want to be on the outside. So that's just what he, want, what he wants to do. He wants to be on the edge. And it wasn't that impressive from him, uh, at least from my perspective. Um, I, I just think he struggled uh, on the edge and stuff. So um, that was a guy I wasn't, wasn't incredibly uh, happy with, I would say. With his performance, I, I wanted to see more of him. I was hoping I was going to see more of him as well. And then and then the final guy who, um, this is more because of injury, but Jacob Cowing out of Arizona, the wide receiver. He's like five foot eight, very tiny wide receiver. But, I mean, he can create separation. He's very speedy. I I liked what, he, what I saw on the first day of practice in one-on-ones for him. But then I believe it was on day three, I want to say. Or maybe it was day two. He has to get stretched. Uh, he not stretch. He has to get carted off with what appeared to be a, a ankle, or maybe a, it was a leg injury or something. We haven't heard anything about it um, since then, so I don't really have an update about it. I asked some people about it. They didn't really seem uh, seem to get an update, which you don't really get updates in these scenarios. But Jacob Cowing down with a look looked to be a severe leg injury because he had to get carted off. Hopefully it's not, but um, that will be something to monitor as well. A guy that was projected to go probably early day three, I would say, maybe somewhere on day three, uh, going down with a major injury at the Senior Bowl. So those are the guys that I would say kind of um, didn't impress me the most. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't really want to say any other guys. Those are kind of just the main ones. Um, some of the top talent that I was expecting to be there, I talked about, in the preview, Troy Falconu out of Washington didn't show up. Tommy Eichenberg out of Ohio State wasn't there either. Um, who, who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, oh, just okay. Yeah, some more risers actually. Um, Laitu Latu out of UCLA is a very good player. He's going to go in the first round if his medicals are okay. Then he's going to go in the top ten. Cedric Gray out of North Carolina, the linebacker, another really good player. Um, so those guys, Marshawn Nealon, the defensive lineman out of Western Michigan, very great week from him as well probably put himself into the day two conversation. Michael Hall out of Ohio State and Braden Fisk out of Florida State. Two more defensive linemen that definitely put themselves in the in the day two consideration. So uh, those were some of the guys that stood out to me. Devondre Sweat out of Texas, another defensive lineman. He is massive. I could see him going in round one. I think he ends up going late in late, uh, sorry, not late, early and on day two. Uh, another defensive lineman, but um, and then Austin Booker, the edge rusher out of Kansas, impressed me a lot too. So 
Uh, those are kind of more of the defensive linemen. Um, man, I could list a lot. Adisa Isaac out of Penn State was awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, some of the fallers, yeah, I don't really see any more that kind of stood out to me. Um, Kalen Carson out of Wake Forest didn't show up. I was hoping that he was going to be there, but I, Mike Sandra still out of Michigan, the national champion. Uh, Mike Sanders still the probably the best nickel corner in this draft. It wasn't there. Um, wasn't there, unfortunately. So there was, uh, there was, I was hoping that some of these guys were going to be there. They didn't show up. Uh, Cedric Von Pryan, uh, out of Georgia wasn't there either. I have a pretty great, pretty high grade on him. And Cooper B out of, uh, Kansas state wasn't there. So those are some of the guys that opted out. Um, those, it's just unfortunate, but that's just what it is. Jalen Wright, the running back out of Tennessee wasn't there. Um, it, I mean, it is what it is, but those were some of the guys that, uh, that weren't there that I was expecting to be there. So, but yeah, that, that'll, um, hold on. I messed this up. So I need to find, uh, I need to find, I guess I don't, okay. I don't have a graphic for the end of this episode, but, oh, well, um, that'll be it for this week's episode of keeping up with the commanders. Uh, I know it was a long one, 42 minutes or 43 minutes of, um, commanders talk. We, we had, uh, Dan Quinn stuff. Dan Quinn era has begun in Washington. We had to talk about the senior bowl a little bit. Um, I expect to talk about the draft more and more as we get closer to it. It's one of my favorite days on the cal- on the NFL calendar, pretty much just on the calendar in general. So I'm a big draft guy. Um, I've got a lot of prospects. So I, I'm going to try and get on the pod uh, throughout uh, throughout the offseason and stuff that I want to talk to. So um, we're going to see how that goes. Uh, but, yeah. Um, that'll be it for this week's episode of keeping up with the commanders. Um, my links and stuff will be in the description, uh, below. If you want to follow me at Mason Kenahan, but beyond that, uh, that'll be it with, that'll be it for this week's episode of keeping up with the commanders. See you guys in the next one. Peace.